Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great, here we go then. Week two, the heart of uh, Reformation. Uh, heart reform is the hashtag. Let's get tweeting. This stuff is too good to stay in here. As we reminded ourselves uh, last week, on October the 31st, 1517, just over 500 years ago, Martin Luther uh, blogged effectively by nailing 95 Microsoft bullet points from PowerPoint to a wooden castle door. And what he said in that blog went viral. And did it go viral because of the state of authority in Europe at that time? Did it go viral because ordinary people were fed up with the status quo? Did it go viral because the Holy Spirit was at work? Probably all three. But something happened that began that day that changed the church that then went on to change the world. Isn't it an exciting reminder that when God changes the church, the world gets changed? And it's our longing that God would do a reformation within us, that he might do a reformation through us. And it wasn't, as we said last time, that Luther found something new that wasn't already there. Uh, A reformation, and so many of the Christian revolutions, and there's that that quote that I put up last time, I think here it is, uh, that I love, reminds us that it's, it's not about finding something new, but it's about radically living out a truth that is already there. What happened at the Reformation was that they dusted off or cleared the rubble away from a shed load of things that were true, that they'd almost completely forgotten about that they were true, that their current practice had obliterated the sight of that truth. They cleared it all away, let the truth come forth, and a remarkable revolution began to take place. As Jesus puts it, you need to know the truth. If you hold to my teachings and you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. And what will the truth do? The truth will set you free. Today I've called this message, I will look for myself. Thank you. Last week, we reminded ourselves of what was at the core of the blog that went on that castle door. That effectively Luther was saying that we've lost sight of a fundamental truth. And that truth is faith alone. And what he meant by that was that we've lost sight, or they had back then lost sight of the biblical truth that salvation, getting right with God, getting your sins forgiven, knowing eternal life now and into the future, being secure of everything that's ahead, being part of God's family, being one of the saints, everything that we call salvation. Salvation is a gift that you get, not by anything that you have done, but by simply receiving it by faith. Not by work so that no one can boast. That was his big central idea that began to rock the church and then the world. This week, an underpinning idea, faith alone this week, scripture alone, or sola scripture, as you will read uh, about it. What drove Luther to understand that truth that had been lost was a conviction that we needed to get back to the Bible. It was driven by a belief that the scriptures alone were to be our place 
of authority. The Bible itself, ultimate in matters of faith and belief. Now, if we go back 500 years to Luther's day, the Catholic Church, and please don't take what I'm saying about the Catholic Church then and apply it without any change or filter to the Catholic Church now, because then I would be being misunderstood and misconstrued. The Catholic Church then absolutely rooted their ultimate authority in the priests, the bishops, and then fundamentally, the Pope. They were the ones, the Pope especially, who decided exactly what was to be understood and to be believed. And so all kinds of traditions that simply weren't in the Bible had arisen and were practiced in the church. Like last week, we talked about indulgences, where you could pray, pay the priest, pay me to have your sins forgiven. We'll form an orderly queue at the end. But there were other things that perhaps... Uh, we might disagree now. Uh, so indulgences. Uh, and Luther said, no. There's nothing about that in the Bible. The truth of the Bible is the complete opposite of that. The worship of Mary, for example, where Mary had been given prominence as a, as a god. Transubstantiation, the, the idea that the bread and wine literally changed into the body and blood of Jesus. Papal authority, all kinds of things of the day, of the time, that Luther and others with him were getting back to the Bible and saying, we can't see this stuff in here. If it's not in here, we're going to chuck it out because it's what the Bible says that matters to us in all issues of life and belief. And so there was an urgency for them to get back to the Bible. All Scripture, God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Human traditions were everywhere. And as such, the people and even the church from Luther and the other reformers' perspective, had been deceived. See to it, the Bible says, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, and we might add his word. So Martin Luther began a radical movement of getting back to the Bible. It might seem obvious to us that everything starts with the Bible, that if it's not in the Bible, we'll chuck it out. But let's be careful, haste we judge too quickly, as we saw last week. So Martin Luther was not very popular with the Catholic Church. And as a result, they threatened to excommunicate him if he didn't shut up. And then they said that they would murder him if, they didn't, if he didn't shut up. Being excommunicated is quite a big deal. If you got removed from this church for some reason, you toddle down the road and join another one. The trouble in that day, there wasn't another one for you to join. So getting kicked out of the church was a big deal because you were getting kicked out of being a member of God's family and therefore kicked out of your salvation and your inheritance and so on. So the stakes were really high. And one day a priest said to Martin Luther, why on earth are you carrying on like this? And this is what he wrote, or this is what he replied. Unless therefore I am convinced by the testimony of Scripture or by the clearest reasoning... Unless I am persuaded by means of the passages I have quoted, and unless they thus render my conscience bound by the word of God, I cannot and will not retract, for it's unsafe for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other, may God help me. Amen. 
In other words, uh, if it's not in the Bible, then I'm not interested. If it's in the Bible, then I want to explore it, understand it, and establish it as a reality at work in my life and therefore in us as a church community. That's what he was saying. And that's the exact raison d'etre that the early Baptist tradition began with. Early Baptist confessions were like this one. Basically, they were saying, we're going to get rid of everything that's been made up or full of human tradition in an attempt to get back to the Bible, its guts and its hearts. The rule of the knowledge, faith and obedience concerning the worship and service of God and all other Christian duties is not man's inventions, opinions, devices, laws, constitutions or traditions unwritten whatsoever. It doesn't matter what the priests, the bishops, the Pope says. It doesn't matter what we've practiced for a thousand years. If it's not in the Bible but only the Word of God contained in the Canochial Scriptures, 1644, particular Baptist Confession, Shexon 7. But you knew that. You didn't need me to put that on the end. The Bible was hugely important to what began, nailed to the door, and the raison d'etre for churches in traditions such as ours. That's why preaching in a Baptist church has always been a big deal. Because it comes out of this uh, radical belief that we have to get hold of the Scriptures and we have to live it out in all its radical fullness and all its radical nature. So if you traditionally came to a Baptist church, a flat-packed Baptist church which you'd buy from Ikea would be like this, rows of pews, a balcony around, and a big whopping pulpit. So the whole focus was on the preaching of God's Word. If you go to an Anglican church, a different tradition, uh, uh, you won't have a big pulpit. You have a little teeny, teeny little pulpit. You stand like this in. But you will have a big altar, communion table, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, Mass, uh, uh, out of their tradition, the focus of gathering around uh, communion and the Lord's Supper. So if you moan about the length of sermons in a Baptist church, it just is the way it is. There are plenty of eight-minute churches around. Make sure the door doesn't hit you on the way out. But it was more radical than that back then. And an early reformer by the name of William Tyndale captured something even more radical that needed to happen. You see, the Bible was in Latin. Who can read Latin? No, well, they couldn't then, apart from one or two. And so no one could read the Bible. No one could understand the Bible. No one could access it except to receive what the priests, the bishops, and the popes, and everything else had to uh, say. So some of these early reformers uh, developed a passion for putting the Bible back into the hands of ordinary people. They read the Bible and they said, well, look, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's written in a way that ordinary people can read it and understand it. Paul's letters were written to ordinary people in ordinary everyday language to ordinary churches so that the ordinary people could read and understand what was going on. Even the Old Testament, the meditating, was such a community affair of sharing God's word uh, together. Uh, and so William Tyndale was a famous linguist. Uh, he uh, was educated in Oxford and Cambridge. Uh, he became a, a priest. But he was breaking out. He was becoming passionately convicted that they needed to get the church that he was a part of, needed to get back to the Bible. That the Bible needed to be the, the starting point, the stepping off point. That the Bible was the authority and therefore people should be able to read it in their own language. So he started translating the Bible into the ordinary vernacular, ordinary language of the day. This was strictly forbidden by the church of our time. Isn't it remarkable how truth can so easily get lost? 
the church of our country, there was a time when translating the Bible into our own language was strictly forbidden. Doesn't history repeat itself? In 1525, the first Bibles were smuggled into England. English Bibles. To cut a long story short, William Tyndale went to, to the continent to try and protect, his, protect himself. Um, uh, but the 6th of October, 1536, these are real dates, real times, real people. After 500 days imprisoned for heresy and treason, William Tyndale was strangled and burned at the stake. And he prayed, Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. But what, what drove him? What, what drove him? What was so burning in his heart that he knew that he couldn't just conform any longer to the way church had become? What was so burning in his heart that he knew he had to get the Bible into the hands of ordinary people? Well, one day publicly a priest challenged him and he said this, If God spare my life before very long, I shall cause a plowboy to know the Scriptures better than you do. It was the longing that the Word of God should be open and alive to ordinary people. 3,000 New Testaments were translated and printed by William Tyndale. Only one perfect extant copy is now in existence in the British Library, and that's because I sold it to them. Do I have any believers in the house? (laughs) Bristol Baptist College, where I trained in the mid-90s, or went to in the mid-90s, not exactly the same thing, uh, owned the one extant copy of the William Tyndale Bible. And I was student president, which meant I was on the college council, and we needed some money. So what do you do when you need some money? You look and see what grandma's got in the attic. Uh, And what we had in the attic was the William Tyndale Bible. And uh, uh, so we decided to sell it, not just because we could have done with the money, but more importantly because it needed preserving in a way that we simply uh, were unable to do. And uh, the kind of negotiations went like this. How much shall we um, ask the British Library for? So we thought of the biggest number we could think of. We said, let's ask them for a million. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we should have asked them for 10 million, shouldn't we? (laughs) Kind of blew it. So um, they gave us a million quid, and they sent two people on the train from London, and an orange Sainsbury's plastic bag, and they popped the Bible in the orange Sainsbury's, no word, honestly, as sure as that, I was the only one in the college at the time, it was invocation time, but we lived there, and uh, orange Sainsbury's plastic bag, they popped it in, and they took it off to the the British Library. So I sold uh, the one extant copy of the William Tyndale Bible, any believers in the house? Goodness me. That doesn't need a round of applause. Plenty of things I say do need a round of applause, but I'm not sure that's one of them. And if you go, well, you can't go there now because we sold the building as well. I wasn't responsible for that. We basically sold everything. (laughs) Sold the Bible, sold the building. There's nothing nothing much left. If you go to the building that we uh, were in, there's uh, a massive stained glass window similar to the size of the ones at the back of the church with uh, 12 depictions of the life of William Tyndale. And you had to walk past this window into uh, chapel for sermon class. Now, sermon class is daunting enough, uh, let alone walking past someone who gave their very life to put the Word of God into someone else's hand. Someone who gave their life to put the Word of God into someone else's hand. So first of three questions that this whole thing raises for me. The first is about attitude. How valuable 
is the Bible. Oh, there's the window. Forgot I had a picture. There's the window. How valuable is the Bible to you? How valuable is the Bible to you? How much would you pay to own a copy? How much would you pay to have the Bible in your own language? How much would you pay to have a spare Bible sitting on your shelf? Or perhaps a second or third Bible, different translations, the same language, but with a different nuance, a different flavor. How much would you pay to have the Bible in the palm of your hand, wherever you go? Would you risk your life to put it in the hands of others? Would you risk imprisonment simply to own one? If the Bible was that persecuted, and people were that against it, would you still want it? How does your life demonstrate how valuable the Bible is to you? If someone came to your house and shared your life, what would they grasp about your relationship to the Scriptures? Our fathers gave their lives to put the Bible in our hands. People are giving their lives still. We're going to watch a short video the last 60 years of trying to put the Bible into ordinary people's hands. This is the book. This is the book God used to bring me to the face. We in Open Doors are totally dedicated to getting the word of God into the country, in their language, and then let God speak. China, an exciting country, the biggest nation in the world, the quest came for Bibles, and we brought them in by the thousands, tens of thousands. Then they said, give us one million. We just did it in obedience to God's commission. It was so big and bold that endeavor. We did it in one night, but we did it in Jesus' name. So we're challenged or encouraged maybe in our attitude. How valuable is God's word to us? But also it causes us to reflect the journey of the scriptures that we've been talking about on our access to the Bible. Do you believe that you, the Bible and the Holy Spirit are enough? You see, they forbade ordinary people like you and me having the Bible in our own language, because they thought it was too dangerous for us. They're right in a way. It is extremely dangerous. It is an extremely dangerous book. But, but oddly enough, the danger was to leave it in the hands of the people with power, as a thousand years of church history developing had shown. Do you believe that the Bible in your hands is the Word of God that's alive and active? Is the Word of God only available, as they were saying, only really available to us through the ministry of teachers and preachers and interpreters and so on? No. We must contend, as Luther and Tyndale and the others did, 
that each one of us has full, unfettered access to the Word of God. The Word of God is personal, all Scripture, God-breathed, useful for all that stuff, so that the servant of God, or I love the phrase it used to say, the man or woman of God, kind of everybody's included, um, can be thoroughly equipped. The Psalms are a, a personal encounter about meditating on God's Word and loving and delighting in it, like the reading that Liz read for us. Jesus knew the Word of God in order to stand on it and expected his followers similarly to use the Word of God in their hearts and their lives. It was always meant to be known, to be told, to be shared, to be meditated on. It doesn't have to be mediated through preachers and teachers. How confident are you that the Bible and the Holy Spirit is enough for you? Some of our actions on times can betray us. We lack confidence in reading the Bible because we think perhaps we won't understand it. Preachers have quite a lot to answer for, I think, in that regard, because we talk about the Greek and the second past participle imperfect future tense and, and give the impression that you cannot pick up the Bible and through the power of the Holy Spirit have it speak into your life. We must reclaim the reality that God's word through his Holy Spirit is enough for each one of us. We might race through the Bible in order to get to the Bible reading notes. And in your quiet time, many of us will default, will edge slowly towards spending more time with the notes and less time with the Bible. You with me? Anyone ever done that? And you're in a rush, so you read less of the Bible so that you've got enough time for the whole notes. Sometimes just a verse of the Bible so you can get onto the notes. And the Bible becomes just a gateway to someone else's ideas. And we betray in our hearts that, that we're looking for some other human confirmation, human interaction, that we're looking to hear what someone else has to say about the Bible rather than being committed to what the Bible would say for itself. We read loads of books and podcasts and so on and so forth, absorbing ourselves with everyone else's opinion before we let it speak on its own. We need to regain our confidence in the Bible, trusting not simply the ministry of teachers and preachers, but in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, when the Spirit of truth comes, what will he do? He'll guide you into all truth. Honestly, the Holy Spirit's better than any preacher, but sometimes we act like we don't believe it, that the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and me is not enough. Now, I'm not saying for a moment there's no place for preachers. I need someone to pay my salary after all. That was just a joke. Just lighten up, lighten up a bit. It's just... I'm not saying there isn't a ministry for preachers and teachers. But can you see how easy we default towards that? That I need someone else to give the Bible to me. And at its extreme is what Luther was fighting against 500 years ago. And we need to be on our guard. That we own the truth. That God can speak to me every day, every moment, through His Word. He's more than able to do that. He's given us His Word. We trusted the Holy Spirit for that. We can trust the Holy Spirit to help us move through it together. Now, of course, there's accountability. Of course, the Bible needs to be interpreted in community. Of course, preachers and teachers uh, uh, create the platform and the boundaries and the parameters and the frameworks and all of that. But at its heart is the absolute miracle that you can sit down with the Holy Spirit, open up God's Word, and He will speak to you. Isn't that amazing? You could have saved yourself all the bother of being here this morning. He will speak to you. The Reformation put the Scriptures back in the hands of ordinary people. 
We've got to make absolutely sure no one steals that back. Are you with me? No one steals that back in the hands of ordinary people like you and me. It's not the preserve of the religious professionals. And we need to make sure it stays in our hands. It's why I love soap. Simple way to engage directly with the Bible. Everything you need to know about it, forward slash soap on the website. Very simple way of reaffirming that we don't need in that moment, however good they are, Bible reading notes and other people uh, speaking into us. That all has its place. Please don't misunderstand me. But in that moment, I can open up God's Word. I can read a passage. I can think, what is the particular scripture? What is the particular phrase? What is the particular thing that is being communicated to me by the Holy Spirit today? How do I think about that? What does it make me reflect on? What's my observations? And then how do I apply it in my life? I love soap. Because it's dead easy. I love soap because we can all do it. And if we find something that we can all do, then we can start a movement. Because everybody can do it. One can pass on to another. I love it because God's word's alive and active. And if you sit around and you open up God's word, he will speak to you. I love it because it focuses on letting the Bible speak before anything else. And if you do soap for a while, some of you have journeyed with it for a long time, maybe paused, you've had uh, seasons where you've gone strong and other seasons where you've, uh, uh, where you've gone fallow, so to speak. Uh, if, if you every day, or even a few times a week, or even once in a while, open up God's Word and write down the Scripture, the observation, the application, and turn it into a prayer, you will have a book that is about the transformation of your very own life, relationships, workspace, community time, leisure engagement, whatever it is, because God speaks to the whole of life. And some of you will have those journals that have become incredibly precious because God speaks to you there in that moment. So we're reflecting on our attitude to the Bible and our access of uh, the Bible. Final word uh, is authority. Are you radically aligning your life with uh, the Bible. It's back to that early Baptist confession. Where effectively they were saying, we just want to get back to radically applying the truths that we find here into our lives. And there's enough truth in the Bible for us to spend the rest of our lifetime trying to radically apply it into our lives, isn't it? We don't need to look for other things. Uh, For a thousand years of tradition, they said that's too much for us. We need to push all that aside that the truth can uh, be clear in our hearts and we can focus ourselves on it. Only what's contained in the Bible, which is what the final part of of SOAP is. We're going to put this whole thing into practice in our lives. That's what the Reformation was about. And that, I guess, is the biggest challenge. When we discover what the Bible says, will we do it? We sit here... Because many people did exactly that. So is the Bible shaping us? Is it challenging our thinking? Is it confronting our behavior? Is it calming our fears? Is it controlling our worldview? Is it creating our reality? That's what it means for our lives to come under the authority of the Bible. Where has the Bible already spoken, but we've not yet come under its authority. It talks about so much. Greed, forgiveness, materialism, loving enemies, making disciples, working as if it's all for God, being a witness. It talks about anger and bitterness and unhealthy roots. It talks about family and parenting. 
talks about loving enemies and providing for the poor. talks about including the outcast and having rhythms for prayer. talks about sharing our lives and opening up our homes. It talks about embracing spiritual gifts. It talks about worshipping every day. It talks about celebrating sexuality. It talks about honouring marriage. It talks about being truthful. It talks about... It talks, and so we could go on. Where is the Bible already spoken, but we've not yet come under its authority? At the time of the Reformation, tradition, human opinion cultural norms had drowned out so much truth. Their day could so easily be our day where so much noise drowns out the true truth. What will stop that happening? Our personal connection with the Bible. My invitation to you is to do something different that connects you deeper uh, with uh, the Bible. Do something different. If you read a few verses and go straight to your Bible reader notes, perhaps spend more time on the verses and less time on the notes or ditch the notes altogether for a week or two. You don't have to tell the person that you're buying the notes for. You don't have to upset anybody. Just give it a go. If you're always in a rush when you're doing a quiet time because the goal becomes, I've done my quiet time because you feel good when you've done it, don't you? Tick. Yeah, some of you. I feel good. As if the goal is completing it, like it's some kind of task. If you're in a rush... And sometimes you're not in a rush because of the time, but you're in a rush in your spirit. You with me? Let me get through this. Got to get this done. Take this off onto the next thing. If you're in a rush, slow down. Go for one verse and really absorb it and reflect on it and meditate on it. Chewing the cud meditation, literally going over and over to extract the truth out of it for you. Slow right down. If you've never listened to the Bible, you've always read it, why not listen to it? You can listen to it free at the Bible app, all kinds of places now to listen to the Bible being read to you. Some of us are much better at listening than we are at reading. So much more goes in for us if we hear it rather than reading it. For some of us, that might be a a huge light bulb moment that I can connect much better with God's Word by listening to it read rather than reading it uh, myself. If you haven't opened it in a while, start with a small, simple rhythm. Don't decide tomorrow morning you're going to read it for an hour. A couple of minutes would be a great start as you allow it to speak into your In your group, your community time, your missional community, your small group, your time of sharing, get into the rhythm of sharing God's word with each other. It is one of the most powerful things, one of the easiest tools that we often don't engage with. Very simply, you want to have a good meeting and you're the leader and you haven't prepared, top tip this is, top tip. Let's share our favorite Bible verses. And you see, we we think it's a cop-out. But actually, I tell you, in those moments, if you share from your heart the way God's word has spoken to you, I guarantee that other people in the room will hear God speak that evening. It'll also work in the daytime as well. It doesn't have to be the evening, whenever you meet. Sometimes it's the simple things that have the biggest impact in our lives. So, you know, this word is mega precious. And as a group, we're going to delight in the wonder that we have access to it. And we're going to bring our lives slowly, deliberately, prayerfully under its authority. The Bible is alive and active. And it will do its work in our lives. Amen. Let's pause for a moment.
and just ask ourselves where the, where the, 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 the nub is, where the, where the pressure point is, where the, the moment of um, the Spirit just speaking into our hearts is. For some of us, it's very personal. I need to get reconnected with God's Word. And you need in these moments to take it a step further. What will you do to get reconnected with God's Word? Decide on doing something, otherwise you're in danger of doing nothing. What will you do to deepen your connection with God's Word? What something different might be your story this coming week? For others, perhaps God's awakening a reality that the Bible needs to get into people's hands. You want to be part of a story of placing the Bible in people's hands. And in your spirit, you're just making an agreement in these moments that when you leave this place, you will investigate what does it mean to partner with Open Doors or with the Gideons or with whatever. You'll search it on the internet and you'll talk to other people and you'll allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you because you want to be part of putting the Bible into other people's hands. It's unbelievable that in our country, Bibles were smuggled here just 500 years ago. Imagine what might have become if that had not taken place. And so we long to get the Bible into other places. Or maybe as you've reflected on the Bible again this morning, you're aware that there's an area of your life that you are not or have not brought under the authority of God's Word. You'd rather act as if the Word of God is still in Latin and you don't know it and you can't understand it. In that area of your life, you'd still rather live ignorant. But you know the Spirit is speaking to you today. And you know when the Spirit brings truth to our hearts, it's never to condemn us but to convict us enough to bring change and freedom. If you're hearing the Spirit speaking to you in that way, hold on to what He's saying. Talk to someone about that. Work through what God's uh, uh, meeting you in just now, today. So we thank you, Lord, for your Word. Incredible truths. 1,500 years of a story written in different languages by numerous people of backgrounds and contexts. And yet your incredible truth comes to us and we receive it gladly with open hearts.